Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. There aren't many of us working 12 plus hours a day in a dark room that think about running 240 mile ultra marathons. We have enough to worry about on a daily basis, whether it's building our new at-home workstations and, of course, fumbling with complicated work-from-home workflows, or learning new skills to weather the market during this pandemic, or chasing after our kids while simultaneously homeschooling them and desperately trying to keep them off screens. Oh my God, don't get me started. The last thing on our minds is training for ultra-endurance marathons. But today's guest, Wes Plate, he didn't start out with such lofty goals either. Wes is a former editor turned software developer who works for Apple on the team that develops Final Cut Pro X, so he is no stranger to working super long hours. He was a self-proclaimed workaholic and an alcoholic who hit rock bottom in 2007, and at the time, he weighed 240 pounds. After checking himself into rehab after he hit rock bottom at a family Christmas party, Wes knew that he had to get his life back in order. In today's conversation, you are going to hear the challenges and the hard lessons that Wes learned on his journey from starting out as a depressed, overworked alcoholic to a lean and happy ultramarathoner. He shares the secrets and strategies that he used to overcome injuries and the much larger obstacles that life presented along the way. And he also speaks in depth about the mindsets that have led to his transformation into a happy and healthy father, professional, and athlete. Now, if you have ever felt stuck in a rut and hopeless to get back on track, I promise that Wes's story will provide you the inspiration and motivation to get off the couch and onto your own starting line, however it is that you choose to define it. All right, without further ado, my conversation with software developer and ultramarathoner Wes Plate. I'm here today with Wes Plate, who is a product designer for Apple up in Silicon Valley, and you are also an ultramarathon runner, and you also have the dubious distinction of being a returning guest on my podcast. So, Mr. Wes Plate, it is a pleasure to chat with you once again. Hey, Zach, it's really good to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. Uh, So I'm going to give a a little disclaimer for anybody that's been with me for a long time that remembers way back in the day when I did this crazy thing called Fitness and Post. You and I talked about some of the stuff that you had been doing at the time to get in shape, to just start the whole marathon process. So for those that have listened to that, you might get a little bit of repetition in today's interview. For those of you that haven't listened to it, if you want to go back and listen to it, get all the details, that's fantastic. I'm going to kind of assume you're probably not going to do that. So you and I are going to talk about a lot of the same stuff today to tee up what it is that you are doing now. And there's a there's a whole lot of stuff that we can talk about here. So really, the, the best place I think to start is just going to be the beginning. Who are you? What do you do for a living? Like what what kind of stuff keeps you busy? Then we're going to really backtrack and understand your whole 
origin story and why you're actually here on the microphone today. Yeah, well, so yeah, as you say, I currently work as a product designer. I uh, work on the team that makes Final Cut Pro at Apple. And my background actually takes me from editing. I started editing in the 90s, making TV commercials. And I back in those days, I needed some software that didn't exist. And my dad was a programmer. And he and I ended up creating a software company together to build this tool that I needed. And we ended up creating a company out of it that lasted a long time. And that transitioned me from video editing into software. And uh, did that for a lot of years. And during that time, I traveled around the world visiting customers. I was uh, like our main sales and support person for our company. Went to a lot of drinking engagements with people after work. Even back when I was editing, of course, there was a lot of drinking involved. And as I got older and got more world weary, I was part of that weariness came from a lot of drinking and my habits were becoming unhealthy. Uh, by 2007, it had really become kind of out of control. My drinking was something that I was using to mask some unhappiness and some, uh, some deep sadness from childhood that I don't think I had really uncovered until that point. But I, uh, it was Christmas time, 2007, was, I kind of had a rock bottom moment. And I ended up checking myself into a treatment hospital in Seattle for alcohol uh, recovery and spent 10 days at this hospital um, getting a medical solution, you might call it, for this alcohol addiction. Um, and during the time that I was being unhealthy, I, I kind of had memories of being an active person from high school. I used to be a sprinter in, in track and I did cross country, although I wasn't very good at it. But I used to be quite an active person. But as I got older and got more into my, my drinking and my depression, uh, I got heavier and heavier and heavier. And that activity became harder and harder and harder. I think like, a lot of people kind of go through cycles. Like maybe they're really unhealthy for a while, but then they're like, you know what? I'm going to get better. So I would like say, I'm going to drink less and I'm going to be more active. But I, I failed every single time, partly because it was just so difficult. I was heavy and it was hard to move. So eventually, I just I kind of got to a point where, like I said, eh, I guess this is who I am. This is what I am. Activity isn't the part of me anymore. Uh, but that start, that shift started happening when I got out of the hospital in 2008 after this uh, recovery from alcohol addiction. I started to lose weight precipitously, like it was falling off. And I remember at the time I had this real sweet tooth, like I I really I craved sugar, and I, at night I would eat like an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And that was, even while doing so, I was still losing weight. It was as though I had this huge like appetite for calories when I was drinking. And you I was tapped into so the multi-billion dollar diet, by the way. Yeah, I did. Pint of Ben and Jerry's and losing weight. Like, <laughs> right. why are you working at Apple on Final Cut? Like, you should be selling that diet, my friend. Yeah, it's, it was an amazing diet. And I uh, realized how many calories I had cut out of my, out of my, you know, my intake just by stopping drinking. But as I lost weight, I started to get more interested in being more active. And by 2012, a friend of mine introduced me, reintroduced me to running, and he did so through technology. It was like the most tech way he could do it because he showed me his Garmin GPS watch and he showed me how he'd go for a run and then he would upload his, his route to, to Strava, the website. And, uh, and I was like, well, that is super cool. Like, I can see you do a physical activity in the world and then it draws a map online and other people like it. I don't know. To me, that was like this little uh, shiny object that I could chase after. I, I'm a tech geek. And so that kind of thing was an excuse for me. And nowadays that just seems like, eh, whatever. But eight years ago, like, holy cow, is that amazing technology. So it I can really see how was. that could definitely be the shiny object. Yeah. And it was a huge motivator for me to get out there and just move. And of course, at the beginning, it was tough. Uh, I would start out just, I remember I'd get on the street and I'd walk to the next telephone pole. And then when, when I got there, I would run to the next telephone pole. And I would just alternate telephone poles, running and walking. Eventually, I would start to run two telephone poles, then walk and run. It, I would say in that first year, I was just running, you know, just here and there. I mean, hardly even, I could hardly even say I was running back then. But I was moving, getting myself acclimated. And I ran a 5K. And then... I think it was 2014 is when I actually started to run a bit more and kind of got more into it. But I, I ran a few 5Ks in 2014. And then uh, it was uh, in, in the summer, I accidentally ran too far one day. I ran seven miles when I intended to run five. 
And a friend of mine noticed it and she said, hey, if you can run seven miles, you can run a half marathon. Why don't you run this half marathon with me later this year? And so I was like, okay, let's, that's like all the incentive I need is someone to ask me to do it. So I trained, I got a, the Hal Higdon half marathon training uh, online. And uh, in November of 2014, I ran the Berkeley half and my first half marathon. And I really enjoyed it. It was uh, hard. I didn't, didn't know everything that I needed to know about fueling my body and hydrating. And so when I got to mile 11, I think I just I'm like I'm hit the wall and I just stopped. But then I, you know, forced myself to finish. It was pretty, I feel like it was a really memorable or an emotional moment when I finished. It was, it felt really special. And then that was, that was kind of the, the bug that got me to be like, well, what's, what's beyond that? Because I'd gone from 5k to half marathon and I enjoyed it. And it felt like I had really accomplished something. When I ran a 5k, I'm not sure I ever felt like I really accomplished anything, not major anyway. I mean, at the time I was happy to do it, but, um, I then thought, well, let me do a half marathon again, but this time train better or know what I'm doing. And so I started to do more half marathons. Um, I did a Ragnar relay. So in 2015, I started to kind of turn things up a notch. And also around that time, I met some other running buddies from my town. We were working out together. In fact, you know what it was? I, I got myself into shape so that partly I could do fitness and post. Because I wanted to join Fitness and Post, but I also wanted to not be a complete loser. <laughs> so after I did Fitness and Post, um, that I felt like you know I'm in good enough shape now to like be kind of public with my uh, with my body. So I went to a local boot camp and joined a boot camp, and started to continue on from there. And I met some guys there who ran ultra marathons. So as I started to learn about that, this idea of running farther than a marathon and also doing it on trails and mountains and stuff. That seemed to really appeal to me. Uh, I could feel the universe calling me in that direction. I don't remember how it was decided, but somewhere we decided that the Baker Lake 50K in October of 2015 was going to be the, my first ultra marathon. And this, some other friends did that race too. So we trained through the summer together. And I finished that race in six hours and 13 minutes. And every time, he, every time I did one of these longer and longer races, I was in the process of learning something new and also learning what I didn't know. So when I ran that first half marathon, I didn't know anything about fueling my body. I didn't eat breakfast that morning. I didn't eat any calories before or during the race. And so that kind of helped explain why at mile 11, I didn't have any juice left and I, and I struggled the rest of the way in. Well, in, the, in the, my first uh, ultra marathon, I learned that I didn't know anything about hydration. I, learned, I knew that you're supposed to drink water and replace the, the sweat that's coming out uh, in, in terms of fluids, I didn't yet know about electrolytes. And so I had been drinking water, just clear water for the first half of the race. Uh, and so when I got to this aid station at mile 15, all of a sudden my legs started to really seriously cramp up. And I think one of the aid station volunteers said, Hey, you know, have you been eating enough salt? And I'm like, you know, no, like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so they gave me some salt tablets and I drank some, some kind of electrolyte drink at the aid station. And then for the next 15 miles, essentially the next three and a half hours of that race, I was hobbling back to the finish line, you know, in so much pain, but yet it felt in a way so good. Like, look at me, I'm so tough. <laughs> I'm going to you know, power through. So I finished my first ultra marathon. And at the time it, it really felt, you know, amazing. And it was, I could barely walk afterwards, but it, got me starting to think about, well, now that I'm ultra marathon runner, what's next? You know, some of the guys that I ran with had run hundred milers. And, uh, so that felt, didn't feel crazy because I was just around that sort of attitude. And, um, uh, I actually got injured. A friend of mine did talk me into running a, an, um, uh, my first hundred at the beginning of 2016. So at the end of 2015, I ran this 50 K that's 31 miles. And my friend said, Hey, uh, six months later, why don't you do your first hundred? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And I just dove in, um, seven days a week. Just, I went too hard and I injured myself. And so that was kind of another thing that I hadn't quite learned yet, which is that rest days are super important as much as like sweat and like really powering, you know, after your body, that's important to stress it, but then you need to take a break and recover and let your body get back to itself. And you know, of course, but I, I hadn't learned myself about how important rest and recovery was. So anyway, I spent a lot of time in 2016 getting myself back in shape 
And then in, in 2017, I started to come back. I ran my first 50 miler in 2017. And that was really hard. I remember when I got to the last aid station with seven miles left to go, I was exhausted having run, I guess, what is it now? 43 miles at that point. And my mom and dad were there. I was crying at the finish line. It was the first time I had a crew. My girlfriend was there to, like, to take care of me at aid stations. And uh, it was the first time where I ran one of these races where it was big enough where there was like a community around me. It wasn't just me running, but I was w- with people who were helping me get it done. And that was a really neat experience. One of the neatest things about the ultra running community is how everyone's so supportive. I mean, even other runners, we're not really competing against each other. We're all there to help each other out. But my having my own crew there, my family there, also brought just a whole new level of it because I could see in my in their eyes and my, especially my parents' eyes, like this happiness and pride or something. You know? uh, and that was something that I think that I really needed. So yeah, so it just kind of kept going. And then in 2018, I did the 100 miler, my first 100 miler uh, in September of 18. It was another one of the things where three of my buddies, we all ran it together. So we trained, you know, lots, lots of hours on our feet, traveled to Oregon for this race, and it became just a whole big adventure. Uh, and that's part of an, another thing about this sort of community is a lot of these races, people travel to them. So it becomes a vacation. It's a way to see a part of the world that you might not otherwise see. And uh, again, having crew there, um, I even had some friends surprise me at the race. So I didn't even know they were going to be there. And I got to an aid station feeling kind of low. And all of a sudden, there are these friends who I didn't expect. And um, that was a really neat experience. Uh, but along the way, there was some sort of thing that, was, that I was chasing after. And that was that I had read or heard from ultramarathon runners that like, let's say in a hundred miler, you know, you're going, 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 it gets super, super hard. You press through, you hit this wall, somehow you burst through the wall. And on the other side, there's glorious angels and you, you see something and you, you become enlightened. And so I thought, oh, well, that's, that's an experience I'd like to have. Thank you very much. And when I finished the, my first hundred mile race, that didn't happen. I didn't feel enlightened. <laughs> I bet you felt your quads though, and your calves and your ankles. I felt, I did feel a lot. Although it's, it is amazing how, when you think back to how badly I felt after my first 50K, when I could barely walk, I couldn't even hardly stand. I mean, now it's, of course, a few years later and I've trained, but I was in much better shape after the 100 miler than after that first 50K. But yeah, man, I was so, I was wiped out. I was exhausted. I think the last six miles, I mean, I walked most of it. I was just so, so, so tired. I didn't necessarily, like I said, I didn't have that aha moment. So at some point, I guess I decided that this needed to go farther. I mean, if 100 miles isn't going to give me that experience, then maybe um, if I went further than 100 miles, then I could find out whatever it is that I need to learn about myself. Um, So I had, of course, like I said, I had been in this community with people who ran 100 miles and that didn't seem crazy. So in that same community are people who run farther than 100 miles. So I'm starting to hear about these 200-mile races. And not only are there 200-mile races, but there are three of them produced by the same company that are a month apart in the summer, one in August, one in September, the third in October. And there are a lot of people who run all three of those races. And so suddenly, okay, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, so what if I do a 200? Because that's not nearly as crazy as doing all three 200s. Uh, so I, uh, made the decision at some point there was, I think there's a lot of factors that went into it, but I realized, yes, I, I know I can feel it. It's, there's a voice in my head saying, you're going to do this. I, I pushed it off long enough. And finally registration opened up on January 1st of 2019. So that day, I think I maybe waited eight hours or something. <laughs> I signed up for the Moab 240. So a 200 and it, it was, they, Actually, say it's a 238-mile loop that starts and ends in Moab, Utah. I think it's actually longer than that now that I've, <laughs> I've since done it. But I, um, I made the commitment that I was going to run the Moab 240. So in the year 2019, then, now it's all about training for that race. I ran a 50K. I ran in April, right after NAB. I drove from NAB in Las Vegas to um, Virgin, Utah, and I ran the Zion 100-mile. And this, this is the first time where I'm running a 100-mile race, not because that is the goal, 
But no, this is just a training race because I got some. It's just another day, right? I'm just going to go run 100 miles today. Might as well. Exactly. I mean, I'm in. I'm in Zion. I may as well just explore it, see it. So it became a huge. It was just a big year. It was fun. It was really hard. But also, you what happened too is that I um when I did my first hundred miler, I did have a little bit of thinking to try to capture the moment. So I had my phone with me, and I shot a bunch of video before the race. I tried to shoot video during the race, but after at some point I got too tired. I mean, I, I remember during my first 100 miler, all my brain would think about is one foot in front of the other. I would think to myself, you know what? I really want to shoot some video. I need to capture this moment. But my, the other part of my brain said, nope, if you're not putting your feet one in front of the other, that's, I'm, not, I'm not participating in that activity. <laughs> so I finished that race and made a video of it, but I was disappointed that it didn't have enough coverage. So I, but I learned that my old life of making videos and my new life of running were starting to feel like, hey, they should become better friends. So um, I, I set out during the year 2019, not only to do all this training and running, but also to start documenting it and making videos of my races. So I made a Design 100. It was the first time I ran with a GoPro and I really set out to document the race. And I did that for the other races in the year. And it was just, it made it fun for me too. I mean, all this training is super hard work, but having that, again, like a technological sort of shiny object, something for me to chase after as I'm doing all this other stuff was for me, something that helped me out quite a lot. Yeah. And then I got to the point where at, uh, was it October 11th or whatever at 7am, I found myself at the starting line of the Moab 240 and began a four day journey around this, this, two, this single loop out in the desert of Utah. And guess what? I survived. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. That, that kind of gives you a little bit of the, how we got from there to here. So that's it? That's really? it. <laughs> like just, just, just a 240-mile race over four days. I, I was really hoping to be more inspired. I mean, I, I, really th- I, th- I thought we had something to talk about. I guess I was wrong. I'm tired just listening to your story. Like just the, the, the sheer amount of time required to do this like at the i think what what most people are thinking about is the experience of the race like i can't imagine running a marathon or two marathons or 100 miles that's that's insane that's crazy the piece that nobody sees is the amount of running you have to do to be prepared to run that amount of time once so how much time in any given week or any given month are you actually on your feet running to put yourself in a position where you can run that far? Because you can't run 240 miles a week so you know you can run 240 miles. That's not how this process works. So what, what does the – and I don't want to go too deep into the training regimen because the, the mindset and the, that's more important to me. But just out of sheer curiosity, how many hours a week do you actually run? My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, 
it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. I would say it's probably around 12 hours a week um, of actually just, that's the time I'm actually running. So not even the time to get to where I'm going to get to and get back and forth. I mean, there are some weeks where I'm running 50 miles in the week. Some weeks that get, I might be 60 or 70, but 70 is a pretty big week. Um, and if you figure that I'm running on average four miles an hour, maybe almost maybe five miles an hour, um, and I'm easily spending um, 12 hours just a week on my feet. So um, it is a huge time commitment, especially on the weekends where on Saturday, a lot of times that entire day is pretty much devoted to running, you know, easily six hours of the day. And the, and then plus just all the time commitment too of um, thinking about it. Like, I'm going to go run six hours on Saturday. Where am I going to do that? Well, I'm not just going to go run around town. You know, I got to, and I can't just go to the, the a park that has a, has a three mile loop and just run that loop, you know, 15 times. It doesn't work that way. So uh, I, I get maybe it's just because the way that I think about it is I need to go do something interesting. So I plan the route that I'm going to run, make sure that it's also a useful run. If it's just flat, that's not useful for me if I'm training for hills. So I need to make sure that I'm including that. So yeah, it's, we talk, I think that's, a, I hear people talking about how the race is, that's just like the way you celebrate the journey. It's all about how you got to the starting line. That, that's the real story. That's where all the real blood, sweat, and tears are. And it's not even just the running too. It's the, um, it is the nutrition. So what are the things that I'm going to eat for that race? Well, I need to be pre-practicing that all year. I did a, a run in July of last summer where I ran a, a section of the Pacific Crest Trail up here in Washington State. And it was a 73-mile, 72-mile section. And um, I started at noon on, the, on a Friday and set out. And everything about the run was practice and let's try things out. So I had the GoPro with me. I had uh, all my, I had everything I was going to eat for the next two days on my back. I had a water filter so that I could practice getting water from the mountain. And I practiced sleeping on the trail because I knew that in Moab, there was going to be a high likelihood I was going to sleep on the ground in the middle of the race. So I practiced that. I slept for three hours in the night. And uh, yeah, so everything about, it's all practice. And it's not just shoes, not just you know running. It's uh, everything that goes into it. So to, to really frame this, not that you haven't provided this information already, but I just want to reframe this a little bit. Everything that you've talked about is super ultra endurance athlete mind-blowing. But just to remind people, we're talking to a guy that spends all day long in front of a computer that's a total editing video nerd like me and everybody else listening. So I really want to put that into context. And I now, now that we've shown how far you've come, I want to rewind all the way back to the beginning. Because what's the most interesting to me is the beginning of the journey. I mean, once you get, I think that where you and I talked last time, you had maybe just finished your first 50 miler. I think it was the first and 50K that we last spoke. It was, it was the first 50K and it was like, that's mind blowing. And now running a 50K, you're like, pfft, pfft, do that three times a week, dude, whatever, right? Not even a thing anymore. But, but that, that story was amazing. But for me, it's where you started. So I really want to go back to, and you alluded to this moment very briefly. I want to dive into it in more detail. You mentioned rock bottom. Talk to me a little bit more about rock bottom, where you were as far as your weight, where you were as far as your relationship with your family, with your health. And I really want to give a picture of that guy is the one that's now running 240 miles and doing it with a smile on his face. So at my heaviest, I weighed 240 pounds, maybe a couple pounds over that. But I, I weighed just over 240, 
all I was doing with at that time, I think, was working. I remember feeling very workaholic-ish, but I also felt proud of it because I had the business that I had created with my father and it was becoming successful. And I was proud of it. Um, but I also had a, a daughter. I mean, at, in 2007, my daughter was almost five years old. So she was young. And I was, but I was just unhappy. I was sad. I was depressed while I had success at work. I wasn't having success at home. My, my wife at the time, she and I have since divorced. But at the time, we were fighting a lot. I loved my daughter and she and I had, had a great relationship then. We still do. But it was, there was a lot of unhappiness. And uh, work was a thing that I would retreat to in a way. Like I loved going to work in some ways because it took me away from the unhappiness at home. But yet work was also stressful. So I would then finish the day exhausted and stressed. I didn't really want to go home necessarily because there was going to be stress waiting for me there too. So drinking was a way that I could sort of escape from, even if I was in a place, I could become detached from it. But I was engaging in behaviors that weren't very healthy. I was also taking that drink away from home. So I drink by myself um, often while driving. So I could remember taking my Jeep out into the mountains with a six pack of beer and just driving on jeeping roads, drinking beer, avoiding going home and then uh, numbing myself to, you know, uh, to having to do it and just numbing myself in general. I'm just, I'm kind of smiling to myself right now because last two weeks ago, I went back to those same mountains and I'm, I've decided I'm going to run them. I'm going to reclaim <laughs> those <laughs> Jeep trails uh, for a different version of me. But I would, uh, drinking became a way for me to escape the unhappiness because I couldn't fix it. Or I couldn't, I didn't have another way, I guess. I didn't know of another way. So yeah, there, there was, that was becoming just increasingly a problem where I just, I was angry. As my anger grew and the drinking couldn't necessarily make the numbness uh, complete, I would start to lash out. Um, family events were another thing that caused me a lot of stress. So the holidays always increased that. Uh, Thanksgiving, I can remember that year, I got pretty sick just because of the amount of alcohol I drank. But Christmas of 2007 was the, was the rock bottom thing. And I don't even, I don't remember the, what happened that night. So I think it was the Christmas night, the 25th, something happened. Uh, this, what I'm told is that I was on the back deck yelling at the barbecue, trying to cook something or, or I don't know, I was at the barbecue yelling. Also, I had kicked the refrigerator and broke it and it no longer worked. Um, so in some fit of rage, I, went out, I was just nuts. But I learned all this the next morning. I woke up at my parents' house. And my dad had been called by my wife because she was scared. I was freaking out. My dad came in and got me. Um, my dad said that on the way home, he had to pull over so I could throw up. And you know, while it was dramatic, it wasn't surprising, I don't think, for really any of us. I had had a few blow-ups in the months leading up to it. Uh, now that I'm saying all this, I remember there was the Chris, our company Christmas party. I made a huge ass of myself and got sick in the bathroom at a pretty nice restaurant. And so, yeah, it was just, I was on this downward spiral. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, after this huge blow up at the house, my dad had to come rescue the family from me. They're like, you know, Wes, you're going to, you need to make a, a real change now. It was almost an intervention. It wasn't truly one, but they did sit me down and they're like, what's next? We need to make a plan. And I had been aware of a, a recovery hospital in the Seattle area. They advertise on the radio a lot up here. And so uh, I was aware of it. And I called their phone number and said, you know, I needed help. And they said, okay, come in on the 27th. We'll get you in. And uh, that felt like an, an and inevitability in a way. It felt inevitable that I was going to end up there. I can remember as I was driving around drunk in my Jeep, uh, I would be listening to the radio and I would hear commercials for this place. And some of them sounded like he was talking to me. And so I, I kind of knew in a way that I was going to get there. So eventually, eventually I, just, I, I, I couldn't hide from it any longer. Or you know, it caught up to me. The, the particular place is a bit of a dramatic uh, recovery hospital. They, they sort of shock you into recovery. There's a lot. And if you're there for alcohol treatment, they will make you consume an enormous amount of alcohol. And that amount 
gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger during your stay. And it's all about making you very, very sick, very uncomfortable, so that your body starts to associate sick with, with the alcohol in, intake. At some point during the treatment, something just switches off in your brain. And I can almost remember when it happened. I was like, oh my God, I don't even want alcohol anymore. Like It's not even a thing that I crave. Yeah, it was dramatic, but that's kind of the way I, I do things is I just, I decide I'm going to do a thing and I, I go for the hardest version of it. I, <laughs> let's see if that works first. It certainly sounds like it worked out as far as the running is concerned. Yeah. Finding the possible, the hardest possible version of uh, what it looks like to run. Well, I could go around the block. I could run a few miles a week or I could run 240 miles over four straight days. So yeah. I, I can tell you have an all or nothing personality, which is probably why you and I relate to each other. Although that that's definitely not my world. Running is so not my thing. Um, definitely not anything that I've gotten the, the voice in my head is, oh, I, I, I think I could do that. I like my Spartan races. You know, I, I think I'm a badass when I talk about the half marathon Spartans. And then I talk to guys like you and I'm, I'm just such a wuss. <laughs> um, but what, what, uh, what interests me now, uh, going back to this period where you started to make this transition, I love digging deeper into the mindset and the psychology. So one interesting thing that you said near the beginning of the conversation was I felt like as I was becoming an adult and I was starting to work more, it was always, I was an athlete and I'm going to get back to it. And then eventually you just succumb and you said, that's not me anymore. I'm just a fat guy that drinks that sits in front of a computer. That's who I am now. That guy goes through this treatment. And the moment that I think is the most important, like if there's one takeaway that anybody listening today takes away from it, it's not that you ran 240 miles. It's not that you went through all the, these amazing things. It was when you started to walk and you said, I'm going to go from this telephone pole to this telephone pole. Imagine going back and talking to that guy now and whispering into his ear and saying, what would you think about running 240 miles over four days? How do you think he would have responded back then? Man, that version of Wes would, wouldn't have believed it. It wouldn't, I, I would have said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can barely get to that telephone pole. How am I gonna get to a million telephone poles? And how am I going to not walk between all of them? I mean, it's, I never would have believed that if, if that if I could have gone back and told myself. I do sometimes wonder if I could recapture that feeling of not knowing what it's like to do a hard thing. Because now that I do the hard things, they feel, so they feel quite natural. Like that is the next thing I'm going to do. So it doesn't feel crazy anymore. I wish I could go talk to myself. Also, just to experience what is it like to do crazy, to see something as being crazy? sort of an aside to that, I guess. But yeah, I would, if, so, if I had gone back and told myself that that's what my future held, I would never have believed it. it seems impossible. Because like you said, I'm a bit of a normal-ish guy. I mean, I'm not a super athlete. I'm, I started out uh, very heavy and drinking. I mean, and a lot of us are good at that. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I feel so normal. I don't feel like I'm anything special. And uh, I know that I'm doing a hard thing, but I'm also training really hard, as we've talked about. So, and I've worked hard to get there. Imagine for a second, going back to the same moment, you lean in and you say to your younger self, you're going to run 240 miles someday. And your younger self says, I can't do that. How angry would you be right now if you had listened? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Oh my God. I would have to go back there again. And really be upset and really yell at myself. I'd be so upset because it's not just the fact that I've done this crazy thing. It's all the things that along the way that made the journey so incredible. I've experienced so many interesting races. I met so many super cool people. I have friends in my life now who I'd never want, I would never want to be without in my life. I would have lost out on an amazing life if I had listened to that negative talk back then, for sure. And I would guess that there are at least a few people, especially given present circumstances right now, that are very frustrated either with their health or their career or their marriage. And they're reliving the documentary, The Shining, like so many other people are right now. But I feel like there's, there's a lot of people, and I talk to people all over the world now on a daily basis. I basically live on Zoom. And there's, there's a lot of I can'ts. 
I can't do this or I can't do that. And it just, it really, like I, if I were to, to go through, if we were to switch uh, sides of the microphone here and I were to be talking about my American Ninja Warrior journey and I go back to the guy that was sitting on the couch, endless bowl of popcorn that he was chasing with Oreos, watching American Ninja Warrior on TV. Like <laughs> not the, I'm not proud of that image, but that's really where it started with the bowl sitting on my fat stomach saying, huh, I wonder. And then the thought was, well, I can't do that. I would be so angry if I had listened to that stupid voice because similar to you, I mean, I haven't even really achieved any of the goals that I've set, like the, the big long-term goal of getting on the show, hitting a buzzer, like those are all still off in the distance, right? So you and I back in 2016, you just finished the first 50K, like the, the 240 miles wasn't even on the roadmap yet. That's kind of where I am is like that first 50K where been on the Ninja course, have tested a couple of things, haven't gotten on the show. But as, I, as you've already alluded to, there are so many things in my life that are different because of the process, because of the friends, all of the positive side effects of making this one decision to say, not going to listen to that voice that keeps saying I can't. I'm going to see if I can. And what I discovered, and I want you to talk about maybe some of these moments, I'll give you some examples for me, and I want you to see if you've had a similar experience. But at first it was, I'm going to do this thing, but it was still, yeah, but I mean, come on, I can't do that. I can't do this. Like I would go to a parkour gym or I would work out with Tony Horton, like the freaking creator P90X. And he'd say, all right, I want you to go up this pegboard. Then I want you to go across this iron beam. Then I want you to come down a rope. Then I want you to go back and do it all and do 10 push-ups or 10 pull-ups at the end. Pfft, come on, I can't do that. But then as I started to do these things and they were in small increments, like you said, it was one telephone pole to the next. All of a sudden you have this moment of, wait a second, I just did that thing. Well, what else have I been telling myself I can't do? And that voice I hear over and over and over. And like you said, now you just find the hard stuff because I realized that the script that was in my head was saying, can't do that thing. Now the new script is, well, I can't do it right now. I can't do it yet, but let's just, see, let's see how long it takes to be able to get there. Then you get there, then you find the next thing. So do you have any pointed memories of really being sure, and obviously running 240 miles is a big one, but on a more microcosmic level saying, can't do that. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a second. What else kid did I think that I couldn't do that I can do now? The goal isn't so much I'm going to win a thing. I'm never going to win any of these things that I'm doing. I'm lucky to finish these things. I feel like the goal is, isn't so much that like I'm going to get on top of that mountain and I'm going to win. It's more like I'm going to attempt to do a really hard thing. and it's getting to that, uh, the ability to even begin the attempt that is where the, the real magic happens. Because that's, everything is unknown. When you start on this journey, you don't know anything about what you're going to hit. You don't know what's going to go well, and you also don't know what's going to go wrong. And the thing is, there's going to be a lot more things that go wrong than things that go well. And so it's a way to learn about yourself and learn about the activity that you're engaging in that you're begin you're starting the journey with that everything every step along the way is a slight change making you different in a way that you haven't even begun to imagine yet because of all the things that I've gone through in my attempts to finish these longer and longer races every step along the way is some new adventure that I could never have predicted that was I was going to be engaging in uh, whether that be just, you know, running in a race that causes me to think about, oh, how am I going to have my crew help me in this big race? Well, it'd be nice if I had a vehicle that was big enough for that. Oh, well, what kind of vehicle would that be? Oh, if I had a sprinter van, that'd be pretty nice. Oh, well, actually, maybe a Ford Transit van is better than a sprinter. Next thing I know, I'm buying a Ford Transit van that becomes the weekend race vehicle that then Fast forward a year after that, I'm kind of in a situation where I can't afford rent anymore. Uh, where am I going to live? Oh, I have a Ford Transit van that happens to have a bed in it. <laughs> and uh, I find myself, you know, oddly homeless living in a van, but yet living my best life and, ha and having a nice uh, 
safety net of a van to live in for a short time uh, because of decisions that had nothing to do with the van. I made the decision I needed something for the race. And, you know, now the van is like my favorite thing. I love sleeping in the van, even though I have a home because the, but it's just, I never would have expected that journey. And I don't know, that's, that's an example of a thing that has become quite important to me that I never would have expected. And then, like I said, the people that I've met along the way and the relationships that have come out of it. I, at some point during my journey, I was getting divorced and I had to think about what's next for me. And I was looking at the time, kind of looking for new job opportunities, certainly looking for new relationship opportunities, even looking for new friend opportunities. I just needed somebody to help me out and be my friend. And I decided to just say yes a lot more. If somebody said, hey, do you want to do a thing? I, I decided my default answer was going to be yes. Because what, what, what could be the worst thing that could happen from it? Generally, when I say yes to things, bad things don't happen. Usually, I'm surprised about the good things that happen. So um, I would counsel the old version of me to say yes a lot more. Saying no got me into an unhappy spiral of drinking and, and overweight unhealthiness. You know, saying no to getting out and being active, saying no to healthy choices, saying no to my family, saying no to people who love me because no, I'm going to go drink and be by myself. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Well, clearly there are a whole lot of amazing benefits that has come from this. None of them so far has been you saying, yeah, but look at the metal I've got up on my wall or on my mantle, right? That has so little to do with it. And I think it's hard for people at first, especially if we're talking to the guy that was 240 pounds, just got out of rehab and is like, I'm going to run to that next telephone pole. You tell him he's going to run 240 miles. That goal is so far out there. There's no way you can ever pursue it. But you took the right approach, which is it's the next telephone pole. It's around the block. It's a 5K. It's a half marathon. What else can I do? Marathon, ultra marathon. And then from there, it just grows and grows and grows. But I feel like so many people take this all or nothing mentality of, nope, I'm overweight. I'm unhealthy. I got to do one of, one of these 90-day programs. And if it doesn't change my life in 90 days, I'm a failure. Right. So it's all about that end result. And I have found that the key is that you just have to find something where you get so much more out of the process that the process changes you. It changes everything around you. And then the goal, like you said, once you actually get to the race or get to the event, it's like this is the party. Right. I prepared so much for the party that now I get to enjoy it. The training is the hard part, not the race. Most people are afraid of the race. It's like you train well. The race is the fun part, but all the side effects from putting yourself in these uncomfortable positions for 12, 15, 20 hours a week, like the, the, the dividends that it yields are just astronomical. I was thinking about your story. You know, you haven't gotten on the show yet, but you've done lots of other cool things. I watched your, your training videos you've posted on Facebook of you doing impossible things on your, with your hands and monkey bar type things. But I also think about how you were, you're working out with 
Tony Horton. Like, dude, that's really freaking cool. Like, I'm not you. I'm not, I don't have your ambitions to go on the show, but I would almost, as an outsider, say, man, you could stop now and you have an incredible story yourself. It just reminds me of, I got to meet one of my running heroes uh, through uh, somebody who inspired me in a way to do Moab 240. Uh, I'm super inspired by him. He's my Tony Horton. Well, he and I became friends through Instagram, which felt impossible to me. And then uh, it turns out he was at Moab 240 helping at, out at aid stations. And, you know, I got to see him and meet him in person and have him know who I am. And that was another thing that felt like, oh my gosh, I never would have expected that to be a part of my journey, that I get to meet the people who inspired me. I'm thrilled that my story inspires people and that my, the things that I, these activities that I do are inspiring. I think that's amazing. Just because I know that there are people who have inspired me. I, I love that I can be a part of somebody else's journey and, and help, help encourage them along the way. Because all of this is hard, man. Regular life is hard. Just getting through the day these days is hard. Anything that we can do to encourage each other to just say, no, just keep going. Don't stop yet. But I'm not there yet. I'm never, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to where I want to get. Well, you know, by the time you get to where you think you wanted to get, the world's a different place anyway. You're going to get to a different version of that goal that you don't, that's better than you expected. You had some plan. You have some plan to get on the show. Well, maybe you'll get there, maybe you won't. But wherever you get is going to be super cool. And it's going to be better than whatever your original plan was. Part of it is because of the journey changes you along the way and you learn new things and you end up, you might end up on a much better finished platform than you ever would have imagined. I just think that's part of what's so amazing about the journey we're on is we have a goal, but since the world is still turning, everything's in motion. And, we, and we're going to end up slightly differently than we expected. And it's going to be better than we expected because we didn't even know what to expect. We didn't know what was possible. What I think is so interesting about that, uh, and this just occurred to me for the first time, this sounds and feels so much like the creative process where you start a project, you have a vision of what you think it's going to be, and you guide it towards that vision. And if you're so stuck in that, you get very frustrated. But if you're like, you know what? This end product isn't even remotely what I had in my mind at the beginning. It's actually better because I allowed other people to collaborate and share their ideas and their visions. So, yeah, there's a part of me that kind of misses what I thought the initial kernel of it was. But ultimately, this is so much better. To me, that's what this journey feels like. And I think that the, one of the realizations that I had, I think, in my first year was – Everything in my life just started to, I don't want to say fall into place, but things just started to click and I started to, to, to create these new relationships and feel better. And I realized it was all just because of one decision. And it's the same thing that you said. I said yes to something. I said yes to a crazy bad idea that I had in my head, looking at a television show. And I said, I think I can do that. Not like, oh, that would be cool. Cause I was saying that shit for years. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? But then all of a sudden I was like, no. I think I can do this, and I will never forget the moment I sat down with my wife. It was during Christmas vacation, and I sat her down in the room that I'm recording this from now that you can see right on the couch, and I'm like, I've got a crazy idea. And this is my wife. She's known me for a long time. She was like, okay, well, that's nothing new. Um, she's used to me coming to her with crazy ideas, and I said, I think I want to be an American Ninja Warrior. Straight face, just look at me. She's like, yeah, that didn't surprise me. But, but, but you realize how much things you're going to have to change, the training I'm going to be going. She's like, yeah, I know. It's like, you could totally do that. I'm like, that's it? She's like, yeah, just do it. It was that one moment where I said yes to something, everything that fell into place since. It just blew my mind. I was like, wait a second. All these things that are happening in my life are because of one decision that I made. And I've missed training sessions and, you know, all the, the plans that I had about I'm going to do five days a week or I'm going to be this weight by this day or whatever it is. All of it's gone to crap over and over and over. But all of the positive changes that have happened all lead back to that one decision. So the, the thing that I've learned and I would love you to talk about this a little bit more and you've alluded to it some. But I think the, the best lesson that I've learned that's really a meta lesson that has gone so far beyond the actual training is how important it is that you react to failure as if it's just another piece of information. 
So the, the strategy that I've shared with so many people in my coaching program, when they're like, how have you gotten to the point where you are in your career, balancing the training, or how did you transition from editing to doing podcasting and coaching so quickly? I said, the only difference between me and everybody else is that I fail a lot faster than you do. I fail fast, I fail hard, I learn, I get back up and I do it again. And I bet you've got your share of failures where you could have easily said, well, this was dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, you know, there's, there is failures that you learn from and that you said a thing about the creative process that really struck a nerve with me, which I can remember so many times in my edits where I end up with two shots juxtaposed that just by happy accident really look quite neat and work out well for me. I'm like, oh, I never would have made that cut intentionally, but then happy accident worked out quite well for, for this project. I think about that in life too. There's so many happy accidents that happen along the way that even even though you think you know what you're working towards, you end up slightly differently because of these happy accidents. So your life, you're right. Life is, is a creative process that we're all, we're all journeying towards. But you're right about failures. I think about the time I got injured at the beginning of 2016, being overconfident, thinking I'm going to run a 100-mile race six, less than six months after my first 50K. Through that, I met uh, podiatrists who taught me about shoes I, I met a, phys, a sports therapist who taught me about KT tape, the special kind of tape that you put on muscles and joints. I learned about mechanics of my feet. I learned that actually my feet have a certain kind of mechanics that don't work well for certain kind of shoes. And so just like you say, it's all information. Now, at the time, it was incredibly frustrating. I wasn't capable at the time of saying, oh, I'm learning all this new information. This is going to be super helpful for me later. No, I was like depressed and frustrated and wondering, am I ever going to get running again? Uh, I'm not getting to my goal. I'm super frustrated. Uh, but, but now, of course, I can look back and say, oh, it, it was all helpful. But I think about examples like that of, of vomiting because I ate the wrong kind of food in a training race. Or actually, I think... It wasn't so much the wrong kind of food as it was, I, I learned that there are expiration dates on some foods. So as I, after I vomited eating this thing on a training run, I looked at the packet and I said, oh, this, ex, you know, it expired six months prior to that. And I'm like, oh, I guess I can't just let this on the shelf forever. An ankle injury that almost takes you out is a little bit different than vomiting because you ate an expired thing. One thing is a lot more distressful and makes you think you're never going to get to where you want to get. But I have gone through enough of these things in my life now where I, I, when I'm struggling, I can say now that this isn't forever. I will get someday to a place where I can look back and I'll be able to appreciate the journey. That's not easy to do when you're in the middle of it. But so far in my life, I have always gotten to the other side of some struggle and I've been able to look back on it and see how it there was some path through where I learned from it. There will come a day where I will not get through. There'll be one thing in, at the end of my life that I won't be able to get through. Hopefully it's just old age. But ev until then, every struggle that I've been through and that I will go through, they will, I will always get to the other side of that. And I, and I am learning now that there is, there is learning that you enjoy along the way. Yeah, I, I love that approach. I went through a very similar experience. I think it was maybe last year. I don't remember when it was, but I was just starting to hit my stride and the training was really starting to come together. I was starting to hit a whole bunch of personal bests and then all of a sudden tore the labrum in my left shoulder. No. And I, it, it's not the kind of thing where it just tears and you hear it tear and it's like, oh, that hurts. It's just this gradual grinding down to the point where it's like, wait a second, I can't open my car door anymore. There's something wrong. I can't pull my pants up with my left arm. This can't be right because I was just swinging on a bunch of bars two days ago. So had them look at it, uh, found out it was a torn labrum and saw two or three different specialists, saw a physical therapist, saw a chiropractor that was uh, that specialized in sports medicine. And then I thought, saw an orthopedist. All of them told me the exact same thing. They all said that for your age and for your condition and for all the things that you've been doing with ninja and swinging and hanging on stuff and pull-ups and everything else, it makes sense that you'd have this injury. If you just wanted to get back to being a normal, quote-unquote, dad, father, you want to be able to pull your pants up and put dishes back on the shelf and open your car door, 
probably don't need surgery, right? You're going to, if you did, you know, two to three months worth of rehab and physical therapy, you're going to get back to normal. But unfortunately, you're never going to be able to do anything ninja related again, unless you get major surgery that's going to take you off from nine months to a year. And I said, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. What that took me down was the rabbit hole of learning everything I possibly could about how the shoulder works. Like you said, with learning about ankles and mobility and all this other stuff, never thought I was going to learn how the shoulder works, right? That was never on my roadmap, but that became an obstacle. And I had to get over that obstacle, wasn't willing to do surgery. And I knew that if I was wrong, surgery was still going to be an option. But ultimately, my thought was, let's see if I can do it without the surgery. Spent three months just diving into the therapy and the stretches and everything that I could do. And then all of a sudden went back to my first uh, ninja workout, total train wreck, couldn't even do a single pull-up. But then I said, you know what? That was a mess. Next week, I'm going to go do one pull-up. Then I'm going to see if I can get in two pull-ups. And then let's see if I can do two pull-ups, but it doesn't hurt. And then I hit a, a place maybe like a month in where I was able to beat the records I had gotten before the injury, and I was doing it pain-free, went back to two of those specialists, and they're like, wait, I don't understand. You're ninja training? I'm like, yes, not only my ninja training, but I'm actually doing better than I was before the injury. And they're like, uh, you're not supposed to be doing that. I'm like, oh, I know, but I, I was able to figure it out. I'm like, all right, guess we were wrong. But again, like being able to take that meta lesson, now anytime I come up against something where it's like, oh, well, that can't be done, or that's stupid, or you have to do it this way, it's like, well, you might be right. I want to I want to make sure that I listen, but at the end of the day I'm not going to take it as gospel. Right. And I'm going to going to get the most out of even a bad situation. And at the time, I went through a very deep depression for like 2 months. Like like what a dumb idea was this? Like I'm going to be a ninja warrior at 40 years old. Like come on, this was so stupid. And I felt like the whole world was saying told you so because I couldn't even open a car door. But again, like you said, it's all about pushing through it. And the thought that always goes through my mind, and I've shared this with many people when they're going through something, is I ask them the question, do you want this to be the end of the story or do you want this to be one of the best parts of the story? And how much better is the story going to be with this in it? So I would tell my ninja friends, like, oh, you're going to stop training? I'm like, no, are you kidding? Do you have any idea how much better my audition video is going to be when I talk about my injury? They're like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it, right? Right. <laughs> so it's just, it's all about how you can reframe the adversity, which brings us to where we are right now, which is everybody's trapped on almost a global scale. Some people are going out to bars and certainly not going to have that conversation. Um, but I feel like everybody's in this position where they have one of two choices. Either it is what it is, nothing I can do about it, or how much better could your story be where five years from now, you're on a panel you're on a podcast interview and somebody says, what was the turning point? And you say, it was when I decided that I was going to take back control during the coronavirus pandemic, right? So if, if you were, we've already talked about you going back in time and talking to your former self, but now you're talking to somebody right now that feels like they're stuck. They're like, I, please, like maybe I can do the one telephone poll of the next, but it just seems crazy. I could never be, I could never do what Wes is doing. What advice would you give that person that's listening right now? Because there's at least one person that's like, oh, my God, that's me. Well, the, you know, the goals don't have to be dramatic and, and huge. I mean, just to start, just to get you out the door. The story you were just telling, I was impressed with how even though you, weren't, you knew you couldn't do a pull-up, you still went into the gym. You set a baseline for yourself. You're like, at this moment, this is what I'm capable of. And everything you did after that was improvement. And improvement's encouraging. So I'm thinking of somebody who maybe right now they, they can't go very far on a, a run. Maybe certainly they, maybe not a run, they can barely walk. I don't know. And maybe they don't even have a big lofty goal to do a large marathon. That's fine. Just get out and move. And next time, move a little bit farther. Now, the first time you're going to go out and experience your neighborhood, I don't go out for, you know, 10 miles. Let's go out for, let's say a half a mile. It's Go out for a 10-minute walk and then turn around and come back. And then the next day, do that same thing again and see how, how much easier it is. And then at first, it's going to take a few, few attempts before things start to feel easy. But I, I, I think it can be really encouraging to at least just start. Because you know at the beginning, it's gonna, everything you do is going to be rough. 
but but as long as you continue to be persistent, it will improve. And that improvement is encouraging. I've been running during the the pandemic. I have a treadmill here. Um, I also get to some trails that I'm allowed to run on, and I'm also running streets uh, in my in the town that I moved into just in January. So I am in a relatively new community, and I'm running the streets partly to kind of get to know the place. But I'm using a website called CityStrides.com that is like an aggregator of my workout and keeps a map of showing every street that I've run in town. It, and his website is to help promote the idea that you could run every street in your town. Like it keeps a, a running total. I think I'm at nine and a half percent of this huge town I live in. You know, if so you it's like the, a Pac-Man game, basically. Yeah, right. So ah, for like me, it. it's kind of a fun little thing. Like I, I don't like running on streets, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to motivate myself with a shiny object. And this time, it's can I run every single street? And so on Sunday, when I'm going to go out for an hour and a half long recovery run after my big Saturday run. I'm going to devise a route where I'm going to go run, you know, 10 miles of a town on streets that I've never run before. And then, so for me, if I was in, if I was going to go outside, you know, and explore things, I might do something like that. What can I do every street? Can I do every alley? It's just those small goals that I think add up over time. And as you go for a walk, you'll see a, a corner market that you didn't know existed. And so you go inside and you find you know, uh, an ice cream treat that you weren't going to otherwise have. And so you treat yourself to that ice cream treat because you just went for a walk for, you know, 30 minutes. And that's a, that's a happy piece of joy that you wouldn't have otherwise had. And later on, when you're telling the story of how you got an American Ninja Warrior, you can be like, and during the virus, I went for a walk and I had an ice cream treat. You know, it's all part of the same tale. I love it. My favorite part of that is when you said, I'm going to go on a 90 minute recovery run. Like, <laughs> really? Like 90 minutes is a recovery run? Like what world do you live in, my friend? My God, that's hilarious. Uh, well, I want to be very respectful of your time, seeing as uh, we're two editors uh, and we both work in that world. We, we should be pretty good with our time management, you would think. Our timing should be excellent. Um, we're, I'm a little bit over time, but uh, it was more than, uh, more than worth it. For anybody that's listening that was inspired by this or that wants to find some of these videos or photos or just the, the journey that you have documented, no doubt people are going to want to experience more of this. How can they find that stuff? My website, westplate.com, is sort of a central location where I've got a page that lists my running history as well as my running plans. I've got links to my running videos, uh, links to Strava. I've got, that's kind of a good central place. And my, I also, my, if you want to know more about the recovery process I went through when I was at the hospital in Seattle, I have a blog. It's westatschick.blogspot.com. Uh, that d- details my, my journey through that. And, uh, but yeah, I would say my my website also has links to, you know, my Instagram and my Twitter. So that's a good place to go. Got it. So the place to start is westplate.com. That's right. Fantastic. I love it. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure as I knew it would be so glad to finally catch up with you once again. I really wish you were local so you could get me uh, out on the trails. If there's one thing I need, it's more running. It's my, uh, it's the one thing that I just, I can't, uh, can't get up the the motivation to do. I love all the super high intensity training, the short bursts, the swinging on stuff, the pushups, the pull-ups. I know I need more trail running in my life and it's a, it's a shame that we can't do that together in LA. So well, I'll set us, I'm going to set myself a personal goal when that, when we're allowed to travel again, I'll find myself in LA and I'll take nice. you up on a trail. We'll do something together. And you'll destroy me in like an hour. You're going to be like, wow, this, this guy needs some help on the trail. So <laughs> I'll enjoy that. Cool. Awesome. Well, this has been a tremendous pleasure. I can't thank you enough for being here today. All right, thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. 
To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.